Listeners, hello, we're back, and it's time for some more news before the podcast, so let's just jump right in so you can get to episode 199. Mark Chan continues down the rabbit hole of his youth with Flashback Friday number 5, the PlayStation edition. Apparently, he's getting into a lot of great classics from the PlayStation era. I got Sega Frontier in there, Suikoden, Vagrant Stories, Inigiri. There's some good stuff. Uh, I mean, I basically said them all, so I'll go to Gramstream Sega as well. Why leave anything out? Either way, a lot of great stuff in this article. Check on in and see what he is reminiscing about this week. Speaking of reminiscing, I don't know if you know this, but Alana Heggs really, really likes Skies of Arcadia. Who'd have thunk it? It's not like she ever talks about it ever. At any rate, we have a great feature that Alana has run for us that is called Beyond the Sunset, Skies of Arcadia's Endless Optimism, 20 years on. Just a beautiful look back, that watch out's got some spoilers in it, on the Skies of Arcadia uh, called Classic from Sega. And if you want to hear her passion and love for it, then uh, go have a read of this. And finally, the last big article that came out uh, was this huge piece that Zach has been putting together with the team for ages called uh, Defending Champions, the best RPGs of every year since Dragon Quest in 1986. This is, uh, it's been a labor of love as we've all compiled our votes together to figure out which games we love from each year. Some were pretty obvious, you know, like Final Fantasy back in 1987. Others were uh, pretty divisive. So it's a three-part feature. Give it a read. See how much we have loved so many of the games over the years. And also there's some uh, runners-up that you can read about, the ones that were so close. And, of course, fan feedback as well. The readers' choices are in there. And some of them line up, for the most part, actually. Everyone's got as good a taste as we do here at RPG Fan. So with features out of the way, we're going to dive over into the review section, which is equal parts reviews, equal parts DLC. We've had a lot of DLC that uh, we've been keeping up on this week, past two weeks. You know how this goes. Whatever. Apparently you know it better than I do. At any rate, uh, Hades dropped on the Switch and is pretty darn good. Uh, wow, is that game ever lovely looking. Supergiant uh, really doesn't pull the punches. And this roguelike was a editor's choice from Bob Richardson. He's just... Please just punch with this game. Go check out his review and see if you want to dive into this latest offering from them. Mildly less pleasing, but still a lovely game overall. I reviewed the remaster of uh, Crystal Chronicles. So Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles is back and it's it's aged well enough. They've done some nice updates. Uh, you can go check out my review to get the nitty gritty on it. It's, it's still a fun game to play in many ways despite some of the clunk. So enjoy that read. Uh, our last full review comes from Zach Wilkerson. There's been a couple different games coming out uh, called Robotics Notes, Elite, and then there's also Dash, which is coming later. But right now, Zach has reviewed Elite, and it's it's a really promising game. Uh, a nice little VN for you to dive into. And I look forward to seeing what he says about Dash as well. And then, like I said, we had a bunch of DLC. We've got three different DLCs. The first one comes from the Banner of the Maid, the Oriental Pirate DLC. And eh, you can you can sleep on it if you want. If you want more Banner of the Maid, then grab it. If not, Des Miller says it's not necessary, but it's nice to have, I guess. John O'Logan, uh, my lovely co-host, was reviewing the Peril and Gorgon DLC for The Outer Worlds, and uh, overall, he likes it a lot. Uh, we got a video review of that one up as well, so if you want to read it, you want to watch it, you got options, but it's uh, it's more of the same, but it's still good stuff, add some good story and you can go shoot some bad guys on an asteroid. What's not to love about that? And once again, uh, more reviews from Bob Richardson, who is also just a very busy player for us. Uh, he got into Neo 2, the Tengu's Disciple DLC. More of the same, but it's real great. If you want uh, more Neo 2 and you loved the, the game, 
get this one. It's going to give you some more great stuff to play with, some more environments, uh, more character options, and you will have uh, some more Oni to take down. And that's it. Get on into episode 199 of Random Encounter. Go. Do it. I mean, or not. You can just hit pause now and that's it. I don't know if you just live for the news. You make your own choices. Anyways, enjoy the episode. Listeners, it's me, Greg. I know, maybe you thought I I wouldn't be here this episode, but uh, I'm sorry if I got your hopes up. I'm back, unfortunately. I'm kidding. People like me, you're all very kind, and I appreciate it. But we do want to do some special episodes coming up. But right now, we're here for 199. We're almost on the precipice. We're, we're literally on the precipice of episode 200. And after that, yeah, we want to do some fun special stuff. But uh, right here on 199, 99, 99, my power is over 999, whatever. You know what? I'm not even going to take that again. You're just going to have to suffer through all that. Take that, everybody. <laughs> Um, I am joined by my co-host, John O'Logan, today. Hello, and I am I am eagerly exciting episode 200 like a kid on Christmas Eve. It'll, um, you know what, we'll get into that in a second, actually. Uh, but I'm glad to have you with me here because uh, someone's got to keep my brain in check. Uh, Quentin O'Connor, who is new to the podcast and new-ish to the website, is joining us today. Quentin, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm excited to be here for the first time on the precipice. Not quite 200, but, you know, the 99 is always monumental, too. So I'll take it. Well, exactly. And the further this episode goes, it's going to be like 199.25 closer and then 0.5. And then like you'll almost be it. Almost. You'll, you'll, you'll hit like 199.99% of the way to 200. Yeah, this episode's going to be like the paradox, where you go halfway to your destination, then you go halfway again, and you go halfway again, and you go halfway again, and halfway again, and you're never actually going to reach it, but you're always going to get closer. <laughs> Story of my life. That's why I'm here. You can be Sam Gamgee. This is the closest I've ever been to episode 200. Yep, and then at the end of 200, we're just going to throw Solosi into the volcano. And that's how it ends. <laughs> Our precious, no. Our precious Solosi. At any rate, uh, Quentin, uh, we are getting uh, Quentin into our uh, Google Hangouts chat as we do for our podcast episodes. Uh, Quentin has a great Gmail address that references Amelia Clark, uh, but he was being very clear that he's not actually Amelia Clark. But uh, we were kind of secretly hoping the hilarity of what if Amelia Clark was secretly working an RPG fan in her downtime from Game of Thrones slash the pandemic. And that just would have been the funniest thing if just Quentin had joined the voice call and been like, I'm actually Amelia Clark. Would have just been the whole most hilarious, mind-blowing thing. You know, the whole thing, uh, it's a whole thing, you know, with the capital W and the capital T. Um, 
a few years ago, uh, some of my friends noticed that I just wouldn't stop talking about Amelia Clark, and they were like, okay, you have an issue, and I was like, I accepted that issue, you know, I just, I really like her as an actress, it's cool. So eventually people were like, maybe you are Amelia Clark, and I was just like scoffing at first, and then, you know, you, you take what you can get in life, and I was like, maybe I am. So, and then you Scooby Dooed them all and took off your face, and you really were exactly. And and now we're old here. lady Amelia Clark. <laughs> and now we're here. It's like um, I have a friend uh, named Connor, actually, who um, is the next boyfriend of a friend of ours, and he he goes on Facebook as Rachel Lee Cook, which was really <laughs> weird when Rachel Lee Cook added me on Facebook. <laughs> I was like, what the? F-? I was like, what is? Huh? And so, yeah, Quentin's dad is the lead singer of Trooper, and he used to get, like, hassled on Facebook, like, all the time from hardcore Trooper fans. So then he changed his name to Rachel Lee Cook, and then now it's just hilarity and confusing and just a longstanding joke. It came up once, and then my friend Simon, we were playing a role-playing game called uh, Fiasco, and Simon in every one of his scenes would always try and reference a Trooper song just to drive him nuts then for the rest of the night. It was great. Any rate, Frankly, uh, I feel like I'm playing fiasco every single time we record a podcast. Uh... <laughs> Except it doesn't end in tragedy. Or does it? Or does it? Anyways, <laughs> video games. Uh, we're here to talk about those. Um, but the thing I was referencing earlier, Jono, is uh, speaking of Christmas in episode 200, what's on your wish list for episode 200? Well, I think that a couple of presents under the tree would be nice. A few presents under the tree, some stocking stuffers. I don't have the budget for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we'll just have to talk to Mike. Mike, Mike can you buy his presents? <laughs> <laughs> all right, it's everybody, Christmas. click on all of um, RPG fans' uh, monetization links and send us money for the podcast. Um, it's perfect maybe for advertising. So two hundred, we'll get um, we'll get Mark Chan to set up an OnlyFans account for us. Mm. You know what I find funny? Actually, we referring to something we were just talking about. It's the idea, like the Amelia Clark thing. I bet there are like pretty big celebrities who are nerds. I bet at least one uh, site, like RPG Fan or another site along those lines, like a genre site that doesn't pay, might have a celebrity working on it, but they don't go by their name. They're just like just a pseudonym on the download. Like Chris Evans is on a I don't know Sailor Moon fan site or something like that. <laughs> That'd be incredible and not shocking. Don't promise me things you can't deliver. I need that. <laughs> Oh, now I need someone to like do that whole um, Sailor Moon meme that was going around where all the artists were doing that scene from Sailor Moon in their own art style, but now it's just Chris Evans with her hair. I think it'd be great if you just took out the entire section with the uh, where he becomes uh, Captain America and just replace it with like the with the uh, Sailor Moon transformation scene. He oh, is the one called Sailor Moon. Uh, he is the Captain America we all need. Yep. We have been playing games, though, and, uh, you know, Quentin, um, have you have you ever dabbled with uh, FTL? I have not, and I feel like it's one of my great sacrileges. I really need to. Um, my laptop really needs an upgrade, but I have watched videos, and I usually don't watch gaming videos, so it's, it's telling when I watch a lot of videos on FTL. Um, that I really need to play it, so so please talk about it. I can see it being compelling to watch, yeah, just like the randomness of it all. It's like watching a, a weird top-down episode of Star Trek, I guess, in some regards. Yeah, yeah. At any rate, um, as Jono keeps cracking the whip at me at the reviews department where I totally don't sign myself up for things voluntarily, 
Figuratively uh, speaking. <laughs> I saw That's your Christmas present. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Starter Renegades back in the Steam Summer of Gaming thing, which again, something we wish to have done a huge video project on, but then life gets in the way. Uh, we got too darn busy to get on that, but I wanted to check out so many of the demos and that was what I never got to. And then it released. So here I am getting to review Star Renegades because it looked amazing. Yeah, it comes from an Ontario based developer named Massive Damage. And then it was published by Raw Fury, who I love what Raw Fury does. And they seem to lean into stuff that has these really cool uh, pixel based graphics and just really great style. Like the Raw Fury is all about style. And so picking up devs who are working in such a unique place. So yeah, it just made me feel very reminiscent of FTL and Into the Breach just with the stylization of the game. And uh, Star Renegade just looked rad with its side-scrolling battles, and it looked really visceral, and again, just a great, great graphical appeal. And so playing it, uh, I was surprised by how much it was, like, it was more of a, a roguelike, and was bringing me back to my time with FTL, where you kind of visit different planets, pick different paths, so to speak, not to say like an FTL, you don't different go different planets, but you go different galaxies. You have to kind of pick your path there. You can kind of go back at a cost and all that sort of stuff. And everything kind of plays out randomly. You get as far as you can, you die, you start all over again. And Star Renegades is kind of the same, but you throw in some more um, uh, combat with that and more RPG mechanics than what you have to work with in those games. So if you wanted to have like that happy marriage of like the strategic um uh roguelike with side-scrolling fantasy battle uh rpg battles like the jrp style like this is the game for you because it is just rad i i was expecting to like it but i just wasn't expecting to get this hooked i hadn't looked super hard into it so i was kind of caught off guard by the roguelike aspect of it i hadn't i missed that in the memo and so when i was going through i was like oh this was this this is what this is oh cool and yeah, you just get thrown into the story right out the gate. It has a great kind of opening animation cutscene. It doesn't really give you a lot of exposition, just that stuff's happening and you are apparently on the Star Renegades, whoever they are, and go. Um, but there's a, a big threat that's doing this whole trans-dimensional jump and taking over the multiverse one dimension at a time. And one of the multiverses that's about to fail, um, there's a doctor there who sends this little robot J5TIN, which I just realized when I was writing my notes yesterday, it's, it looks like Justin. So I'm going <laughs> to call the robot Justin now. So it's a little droid that can travel, has the power to travel between dimensions. And so Justin gets crucial information from this Dr. Uh, Zorak, I think, and sends it to basically herself in your dimension. And this has crucial information for how the Star Renegades can combat this trans-dimensional Imperium and take things down. Yeah, and this so, game's speaking yeah. my language. It's, it's speaking yeah. mine as well. Um, I have a weakness for anything space right off the bat. Um, yep. I, I have a weakness for kind of the space western or, or epic space, everything that you're describing. So, uh, wow, thank you for automatically putting that on my radar. Just like that. It's my mm. pleasure. And there goes the hours of your life. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, it's definitely one of those games that sucks you into, like, uh, just one more one more turn, one more thing. And it's because you can kind of save and quit as you as you wish. And that's fine. So there's no commitment to have to, like, finish a run. Because a run could take you upwards of, you know, two hours if you get a good solid, like, you can get all the way through. Like, I feel like you, if you could, for some reason, on your first go, complete the game in about two hours. But it's, I would be shocked. So, anyways, backtracking. Um, yeah, you're fighting the Imperium. 
And that's the whole thing. But you have like this. So you have your hub town, as with most roguelikes. It's this hub, star renegade, star base, kind of, or base on a planet or whatever. And you can upgrade. There's a little cantina, which this game has a lot of its references to what it's going for. So there's a little cantina that it very obviously has the music that loosely sounds like Figrin Dan and um, his, uh, and the modal nodes at the mm-hmm. Mos Eisley cantina. Mm-hmm. Very much inspired by that. Um, and you can kind of talk with the, the different characters that you've been able to recruit into your team. There's a place where you can spend, um, like there's four different types of like, uh, currency for different things. So you can spend Intel to like get new party members. You can unlock certain gear that you can get at the start of a run. So that will kind of help you for the next time. And then there's upgrades that you can get that are much pricier, but again, they will help you all the way throughout. I just got one that I've been coveting, which will repair my armor uh, hmm. between whenever I camp, which is great because, yeah, re- armor is, is good to have, and I want it repaired. And I find that much easier than a uh, metal detector that finds just loose stuff lying around at night. So. You know, I love it when games have that, like, multiple forms of currency thing. It always adds depth to the experience for me. Um no, mm-hmm. no matter what it, the game is. It's definitely key to the strategy. Yeah, yeah. Just the whole uh, concept, um, and I've seen it in, say, 4X games, and the way that you were mentioning uh, currency, that's not always a word that pops into my head immediately when I'm thinking I'm going to spend this, I'm going to spend this, like, you know, I'm going to spend on espionage points, I'm going to spend on uh, right. stealth points. But it's true. It, it's like the gill of Final Fantasy, except fourfold, and deep i love it yeah because like i mean the most egregious thing i'd say for currency is usually your free-to-play games which they're not free enough because obviously then there's like well you have your free currency that you can get by actually playing the game but then there's like the premium currency that you pay real money for which is also a separate currency to purchase this currency yeah and then there's specialty currencies for special event currencies and yeah it's just, it's okay a rabbit hole. all right let me let me backtrack so, a little bit and say never mind for. never mind <laughs> but for the most part no yes. no no. Yeah. i understand what you're saying though because yeah when it's properly implemented because yeah you, theoretically even in final fantasy like you have gill that you can literally spend on things and then experience depending on the system is something you expend like tactics or final fantasy 5 where you would expend job points is almost like a type of currency right yeah i was just about to say job points or sort of in final fantasy 10 uh when you're getting spheres yeah yeah exactly yeah or there's games like uh yakuza zero where money and experience is the same thing oh that's really smart experience and currency systems experimenting with them and trying to get outside the norm as long as it's not free to play uh can make a game can give a game that extra dimension yeah, which in a game about multiple dimensions, uh, that's all they need is more. Exactly. But yeah, so you have your, so you have like, yeah, your different kind of currencies. Two of them can be expended in the actual like hub town to help you just kind of improve your next playthrough. And then you have DNA, which is what you use. Uh, it, it resets with every mission. And mm-hmm. that's what you use to level up your, your squad, whoever you add to your squad. And then you have like the money, which you spend at the end of each planet when you've beaten it you get local merchants that you can buy stuff to help you continue your run because that's how the game is is structured so you you jump right in you get to pick three members to join your squad and you start off i think with only three but like i said you can spend intel every time you come back to unlock other characters that can join your squad so you can kind of play with your initial party makeup and there's um different classes within that so you have like an aegis who's really good with shield regeneration 
and guarding the party. You have the Valkyrie, who is essentially your damage-dealing tank. Uh, there's the Enforcer, who does a lot of damage and can like mark targets to help weaken them. And Everybody has kind of their, their specialties. And the entire game, uh, it actually reminded me a bit of like the Child of Light system with its combat when you get into combat, where like there's a bar that you can see the whole initiative and you can alter everyone's initiative to help you manipulate the strategy of the battle. And that's what really drew me in is that whole strategy of the combat because there's so many times I scraped through where I felt like I was just a bit underpowered to be defeating that world boss or something. But because I used the right tactics with my team, I was able to keep the boss inactive long enough to be able to wail on it enough to be able to beat it. So once you've picked your party and you dive into the planet and you start going on your run, you have a bunch of different pads because every planet has the goal of you need to get to the Titan core at the end of three days and stop the behemoth, which is going to be the boss. So you have three days essentially to build up your party to being able to compete with the behemoth. Now within this map, like I said, it's all divided up into regions and you have Justin, your little droid, who can breach pathways and they can beat breach three times a day. Once you've expended all these breaches by choosing your paths, um, you are then forced to camp at the end of the night. And then the day resets and you keep kind of going. So you choose your path. You have to really look at the entire layout of the map to kind of figure out, well, am I want to go up here so that if I be beat this boss, it'll unlock a loot chest so I could get an item. And then if I go over here, this will repair my armor. If I go over here, then this will get me access to a full health crate so that way I'll be fully healed before I face the final boss. Like there's a lot of strategy within trying to plan your route, which also can uh, heavily activate your FOMO. But it's um, <laughs> it's still really cool how they kind of broke things up. At first, I wasn't sure I was going to like it, but it is really neat. And there's certain maps, like there's like sub maps. Like the first level has like a little like intro map that kind of lets you go through to kind of get a sense for what it is. Mm -hmm. And you can only pick one path or the other. Like you can't backtrack. So you have to like really go like, oh, OK, I want to make sure I get like the DNA and the shield upgrade and then face the boss as opposed to going this way where I get two vats of DNA that I can upgrade everybody. Yeah, it, you... it really sounds like it's up my alley in a lot of ways that I would not have even mm -hmm. thought of. Um, space, yeah, spaceship, neither. team building, strategy RPG elements, choices that matter. Uh, wow. Yeah, exactly. I think the only thing it's really loose on is the story. Um, and yeah, you like you just kind of get thrown into it and the whole impetus is just get to the end, prevent the boss from getting the Titan core, move to the next planet, rinse, repeat. Which is usually a key problem with most uh, roguelikes. Yeah, exactly. But you're playing this more for the gameplay loop, which is satisfying as heck. Yeah, procedurally generated levels are a lot easier than procedurally generated stories. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I don't think they're all procedurally generated, but they have a lot of different options. Because every time you come back to the run, like the arrangement will be different. I think mm -hmm. I've only doubled up once or twice in my runs. And it took me about, I want to say it took me six attempts to get through the game fully and even then i felt i was scraping by at the end i was really worried when john was asking me about it uh, the day before this podcast was recording he was like so how's it going with star renegades i'm like i'm literally fighting the final boss right now and <laughs> i was just like i mean i hope it is and not to say like i really if i was not playing for this for review i probably would have dragged it out more and experimented more and played with more things saved up more of my uh my stuff for it uh my uh currencies and built up my home a bit better 
but I was just trying to get through it so I could get down to reviewing it as soon as possible. Yes, because all those who don't know, at RPG Fan, we complete the games. Yeah, if it's possible, we'll complete it. And this yep. game was definitely possible, but it was hard. Out of curiosity, how does death work in it? Yeah, that's what I was going to just actually touch on. It's um, It's got a really neat system with it. So every, uh, every level has three kind of like mid-bosses that are mm-hmm. kind of optional for you to approach. So there'll be a mid-boss with a part with its own units, uh, uh, its own party for you to engage with. Now, what's neat is if you defeat them, it takes you to this screen uh, that just lays out the Imperium, like the Nemesis system from um, Lord of the Rings, Shadow of Mordor. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So if you lose to a boss, they will get promoted and upgraded. So in the Imperium, you can look at all the different bosses that you have discovered, and you can find out what they are strong against, what they're weak against, um, if they are immune to things, if they have certain things like this one gets enraged by you making a light attack against it, or gets enraged if it gets hit with a laser-based attack or something like that. So it lets you kind of form a strategy. They have all have little bits of personality that are injected in some repeat lines and stuff. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, they all just have different kind of a build to the the boss characters themselves that gives them little quippy remarks when they come in, like one's like devoted to Mother, who is the, the head of the Imperium, and I do everything for Mother, and others will be just like, so, like, when we, we don't actually have to, like, just kill them and leave them, like, we can eat them and stuff, right? Like, <laughs> they all just these weird little twists to them just makes it a bit quippy, but that's kind of the most you get for character from your engagement with the actual enemies. Mm. And uh, until you get to, like, the final boss. So basically, like, the game bookends story where it kind of matters at the beginning and matters at the end. And in between it's more just like, yay, you did the thing or, oh, you failed, but get back in again. So as you asked, death works is um, essentially you lose all your party gets wiped out. Uh, Cause if you make it through with just one party member, your other party members will come back with one HP, which makes it a struggle. Hmm. Uh, but after every battle, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So with every battle, Uh, Like I said, it plays out in this whole initiative bar system, and you have different moves that will stagger the enemies, which knocks them back further down the initiative. And if you act before an enemy, you get to do critical hits, which does more damage and sometimes has extra effects. So it behooves you to manipulate that system. And if you can completely knock them off the end of the initiative bar, you break them, which effectively causes them to skip their turn. So manipulating that strategy is great and each enemy has a certain amount of times that they can be staggered so you can't just kind of break it by keep doing it every single turn like if you've broken them one turn they will likely have less stagger available to them in the next turn so you have to pick the right characters to maximize that or at least make sure you can defend and that was the other thing too it's the first game i think in a long time where like the strategy of like no i'm going to get everybody to defend right now actually mattered mm. because like you can kind of you know who's going to get targeted by what ability or if it's going to be an attack that hits everyone you want to gauge that to really work out your damage and mitigate the damage that's coming at you. So um, when you take damage, uh, they kind of go with like the halo rule where you go through your shields first and then you have your health and then there's also armor. So some characters have armor, which obviously does a deduction to the amount of damage that you take. So you often will want to get an enemy's armor out of the way by using attacks that target armor. So that way you can just do more full damage or you have piercing damage, which just bypasses it. Like, there's all kinds of, like, so many little tiny minutia systems. That's why it matters being able to take a second out of the battle, inspect your enemies to see what they're weak against, what they have going on, what their attacks are going to do to you, 
and also what attacks you have that are going to affect them like will you be able to make them catch on fire or bleed or will they do that to you like all there's all so many little things that it takes a good few playthroughs anyways to get to know how you're going to manipulate these systems and then when you do finish the battle your shields get regenerated but your health doesn't and your armor doesn't so that's why finding those health drops or those armor drops in the level is so important to kind of gauge your strategy and the longevity of your playthrough and bringing in the right party members because some party members can regenerate shields during battle which will help soften the blows against your health and your armor otherwise right and then once your player every single character is completely eliminated then you just get sent back to the star renegade base the doctor is like well let's try it again and uh, you start off in the cantina you can talk to the people you've assembled and then go back out if you want and just jump back in again oh that's too bad i had a, i had this idea w where i thought it was going to go is like if you die the message gets sent out to the next dimension and then you start again with like your parallel selves in the next dimension oh that would be cool that i'm i feel like see i'm not completely certain on that because i feel like that might be what they were trying to say or or does this star renegade base exist outside of time that wasn't mm. clear to me I wasn't sure if like this is just in its own dimension and then we go through a dimension that they are currently in. Or I think the implication is that Justin survives and runs back to the alternate universe base. But again, but then the fact that you're upgrading that base wouldn't stick, right? So it needs to exist in a persistent manner. Not necessarily. Parallel universes have different uh, have different attributes to them, different paths and I things like that. So you so you could argue that upgrades that you get would have already existed in a parallel reality or not. Like that's, I, I just thought it would be a, that would be a neat, uh, that's the problem I find with a lot of roguelikes is there's not really a central justification for the fact that you can restart over and over and over again. So when people right. can come up with a really clever way to get around that, like with rogue legacy, like your character being the descendant of your previous character, yeah. that kind of thing. I always think that's really cool. So I was thinking, Oh, parallel realities. This give, this offers a really, a really cool way to get around the uh, roguelike uh, issue. It's one of those things where, like, because I think that's a brilliant, brilliant suggestion, uh, Jono. It's one of those things where, like, if and when I get around to playing this, I'm going to head king again. Like, I'm going to hard head king again. And if I ever yeah. read, if I ever read anything that just like directly refutes it, I'll be like, okay, so objectively speaking, I was wrong, but I don't care. I'm just gonna keep believing it because, yeah, I like that. Yeah, don't stop believing. Yeah, exactly. Another band that's not Trooper. No. Um, yeah, so you can unlock the different characters. The other thing that's cool, too, is um, you get perks based on the amount of intel that you've accumulated through defeating enemies. And um, that gives you some variety with your different characters as well. Because when you select them, they will all have like an alternate version. So like the Valkyrie can either start where when you camp, everyone will get more friendship with you. Or you can change them to the alternate which changes the color palette of the sprite which is just a fun little refresh and then makes it so like they have a better shield boost and a better armor boost for example so the longer you play again you'll have these better options to make these classes more powerful to start with every person has three different equipment slots and they have their weapon and then they have um just like a module that will it, it can be whatever that usually is attack based giving you like a a certain type of attack or just a percentile increase to your attack damage and they will have uh, an armor or a shield boost slot as well but the thing is 
it's completely random whether you'll even find any of these items throughout because it all depends on the path you take if you unlock the loot crates. Um, because once you've unlocked a path on any of these maps in most of the regions, you can backtrack to certain areas, but there'll be a little indicator on certain ones that if you don't clear that area by the end of that day, the next day it'll be completely sealed off and under Imperium control. Hmm. So that's all part of you weighing out how many breaches will it take me to get to this area. Like some of them, you just, day one, you know you're not going to get to and you just have to accept, but usually they're not ones with like crucial drops on them. Uh, it's more just like an enemies that would just help you get experience to progress on. Mm. But, uh, or sorry, DNA. Because, uh, yeah, you unlock the DNA, which levels you up. And so that kind of helps you weigh out your strategy, whereas some of the other ones will let you backtrack to go a certain route. So then you know that, like, cool, I've unlocked this health crate, but I'm not going to use it right now because I can come back for it later, right before I face the behemoth, for example. Um, now, as I said, it takes place over three days. So between each day after you've done all your breaches, you're then prompted when you're ready to camp for the night. And the camping is cute uh, because it lets you use these kind of cards that each character has, which adds a benefit for the next day. And it also um, boosts your relationship between the characters that are sharing the cards. Aww. So that's what I was hoping yeah, for. It's cute. It's mm. cute. It's like, yeah, just a little like campfire talk. And, uh, and it's also extra cute because Justin sits there in the foreground with a little digital stick with a marshmallow on it over the fire um, <laughs> that he just kind of like holograph projects for himself. Uh, he needs really to fit in. And endearing. He needs exactly. to fit in. He wants to be part of the team. <laughs> but you get, um, so yeah, you get these cards that you will share. So like the, the main character, um, the main Valkyrie character, she can, uh, wow, wow, I'm blanking on their names because they're all like super sci-fi and you can change them anyway if you want. Um, but she can uh, heal someone's health 50%. So you get like, um, you can get 50% of their health back. And it also will do like four friendship points. And everyone has like three hearts. And every time you hit a heart, it's a milestone in the relationship. They'll have a bit more of an embellished kind of talk about like, um, like I like one, there's the saboteur guy who's very like Han Solo-y. And then there's this um, relic hunter thief who's the the enforcer who does, uh, the, or sorry, the Aegis who has all the... Uh, the shield defense and they since they're both like thieves they're like so hey thieving's great right and you're like yeah my favorite part's the free stuff you know and all that sort of stuff and they jibber jabber and after that brief little conversation they will as long as those two are in the party together they um they get a special benefit now because they're friends so there's like a boost to the shields or a boost to attack and then as you progress on eventually to i think it goes friend uh companion and then partner and once they reach partner status you um you unlock combos so throughout the game uh in combat you accrue fury up to a maximum of 50 which is essentially kind of like a limit break whenever you do damage or take damage you accrue certain amounts of fury mm -hmm. and then you can expend it for special abilities that the characters learn uh throughout the game or you can expend it on the combos which is two characters coming together to do a big rad uh, super attack uh, which is neat some of the abilities are one-offs like uh, the saboteur guy he has a thing that will stun a character uh, for a round of combat which is very handy when you're like i can't break them but they're going to use an ultimate move on me still and i would like just one more turn because i think i can set up better it's perfect but you can't spam it so once it's done it's done whereas other characters like the valkyrie she can use her battle cry to give everybody a plus 50 percent attack boost and you can use that as many times as you want as a free action as long as you have the the uh the fury to expend on it and i thought that was kind of neat that there's kind of an ebb and flow with that 
but there is definitely some times where it's just like, oh, I really wish I had Fury right now because I want to recharge my shields on my Aegis who's protecting everybody and she's got none, so she's going to die. And yeah, so you just really want to weigh the best use of those resources, but they're, they generally all trigger a free action or a combo attack. And uh, yeah, it's just an extra level of that strategy that can really shake up the, the game. And I feel like nailing that ebb and flow um, in strategy games, in RPGs, and strategy RPGs, you know, however you want to classify it. I feel like that's, and I don't speak from experience, but I feel like that's got to be one of the hardest things to, to nail, you know, is to get it mm -hmm. so that um, every time, every turn, uh, a player is, is thinking, okay, now it's my turn. Now I have to think about every single action. But to do it in a, in a way that doesn't feel like just plain frustrating, but to actually get the player engrossed, which is, it really sounds like that's what you've been describing as your experience. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it's, it, I don't want to say it's few and far between, because that's selling a lot of games uh, too short, but just getting it right and making it that there's just no, what what's that stupid term? Uh, no filler, all killer. You know, uh, it's probably the reverse of that. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but to pull that off... Um, in an RPG uh, where everything counts and everything matters, uh, that's impressive to me. Yeah, it's it, it, like they got it so right. Like I found myself um, when I'm going through the repeat playthrough. So they have an option where you just hold the space bar and it'll fast forward through your action. So once you've settled everything, you can just fast forward it through, which it also scrubs the whole screen. Gwen was watching me yesterday play it. Uh, and she was just like, oh, why is it glitching out? I'm like, no, that's me. I'm holding the space bar to fast forward. It's just so it goes through the action quicker. <laughs> but I, I didn't do it. There's a lot of times where I didn't do it just because I enjoyed watching the ebb and flow of combat and enjoyed the, the animations and just how cool it was. Uh, it wasn't until I was just like, okay, I need to get through this for review that I started using it a bit more liberally. But it's nice, A, that they have that option. But B, yeah, like the, the strategy is so engrossing that you just want to keep doing it and playing more of it. Um, and yeah, that's just the last thing to touch on since I've been talking about this a bunch now is, uh, so like each mission is essentially qualified as until you die or until you win. And each mission you, uh, level up your characters, but once you've, if you fail, everyone goes back down to level one. So that's also part of the strategy too, is choosing how and when to expend your DNA on whom to level them up and then get new abilities. And then as you get those new abilities, then every turn becomes that much more, complex as you're trying to figure out which skill will best serve you for what circumstance you know you're like oh do i want to use my saboteur to spend a turn planting a bomb that they can later detonate which will do damage be an area of attack damage to everybody or would i rather have them use their blitz ability which will stagger somebody 45 seconds which is usually a huge shift down the line because i really don't want that jerk over there to use their thing that's going to make everybody catch on fire you know? yeah that would be bad Exactly. And there's like just so many also uh, enemy types as you get later into the game as well. So there, there's a lot of strategy to come up against with that. Like on the final map, there was this one person who like their power is like they compare it up with like these missiles and then they they like prime them. And um, and then there's these other people that have like these defense uh, moves that like they they do overwatch on their allies, which we either, you know, you can uh, the term overwatch is they're basically giving them covering fire. In this case, it was whenever you hurt this person, they would give shield health to other enemies. So it was really annoying. And so basically before I even got to act on a turn, they were doing like seven different like preparatory actions. So there's just all these animations and abilities firing off. And I'm like, 
what the heck just happened? <laughs> Nothing happened to me. No one was attacking me yet, but I was like, what did they just do? What is going on? And then I, so I had, that's why you, there's that nice option to like go and inspect the enemies. And then you can look at like, what's the boosts they've got? What are the attacks they're prepping? Who's being targeted to really map that out. So even though it can seem, it sounds from my describing it very overwhelming, there's a lot going on in the game. There's a lot to process. Again, Gwen was asking me yesterday, she's like, oh, this game looks cool. Do you think I could play it? I'm like, well, yeah, I just, you know, honestly, I love you. I just don't think you'll be good at it because there's a whole lot going on. And then the more mm -hmm. I was playing stuff and looking at stats, she's like, oh, wow, there's so many stats and so many abilities. Wow, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, plus, I don't think she's really, at this point, known about the roguelike system. And I was like, on top of this, like, you don't really win. You play until you hopefully win, but you're usually supposed to lose. And she's like, what? What do you mean I'm supposed to lose? I don't like the concept really like <laughs> threw her for a loop. It was really cute. I love those reactions. Um, One of my roommates uh, wasn't too familiar with with roguelikes until somewhat recently either. And we were talking about one and for the love of me, I can't remember which one it was, but uh, I, I had the same discussion. And uh, my roommate was just like, wait, no, I don't have time for that. <laughs> it was just like, just that, that wanton dismissal. And I feel like I went through that at first as well. Um, and well, I'm starting to everybody. like them too. Yeah, I'm starting to like them too. Yeah, you're essentially just as much playing against the game as you are yourself. And that's, yeah, yeah that's where it was truly rewarding for me is like, um, my very first run through uh, was pre the latest patch that they put out. So the game was just had a default difficulty setting. Mm. Um, which I want to say was probably like normal. And I got to, there's four stages for lack of a better term. And I got to the third stage, which was, I was like, Oh cool. All right. Maybe this won't be too bad. And then I promptly got eliminated in my like, next three run throughs. I think in the first or second stage, Oof. which was also annoying because the, the boss that essentially one of the bosses that contributed to killing me in the very first one, nemesis to being like a boss on like the, the third stage. And, like, it wasn't until, like, my, my final, like, playthrough where I beat the game that I finally got to face them again. And so it took a good couple of um, that's... trips into the multiverse before I got to face off with them once more. That's so cool. It's like you were the one that got nemesis like, in a way, you know, it's just... Yeah. You you fought this guy and you were just like, ah, you know, he's 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 the loser that that beat me down and then just all of a sudden he became this rival figure in in your subconscious, I think. And it's just In some ways, yeah. Yeah, it's just like you knew all along like this isn't even my final form and and you just had to get to him. Like that would just that would haunt me. I would not stop playing. It's such a neat gameplay loop. So as you go on your party uh, your squad of 3 grows by one character until finally you get a full squad of i think six characters and then usually after that point it starts factoring in also the strategy that there's a front row and a back row which affects you in battle too so that's the other wrinkle where certain enemies in the back can only be targeted by certain ranged abilities or you have to work your way through the front row and that feeds into kind of like the tactics of um darkest dungeon kind of influenced where like mm -hmm. positioning matters and stuff too like the game just has a beautiful amount of strategy for this like jrpg seeming game and i haven't had this much fun with the combat system uh in like that's been modeled off the jrpg system since uh battle chasers night war battle chasers night war i loved again another game that was just a really sleeper standout hit for me that i knew nothing about dove in and just loved how fun and visceral the strategy of the battle was but also kind of mirrored uh, uh built upon the jrpg system and 
given so many of those strategy western kind of stylizations to it and just yeah just it's so good star renegades i'm loving it so far i'm excited to get the review out there so everyone can get the nitty-gritty but if you can't tell from this already uh it's worth playing uh, you're a fan you play it if you like space and roguelikes and all of this stuff it's really really neat yep so yeah that's enough for me jibber jabber at star renegades uh everyone on the podcast hears me talk more than enough Quentin, you're new to things. Uh, you wanted to come talk about some stuff. I, uh, I'm i interested in hearing about your adventures with Persona 5 Royal. We haven't really heard from that since uh, Nathan talked about it way back when. So, yeah, how was your experiences with that? Have you played any other Persona series before? Yeah, um, the only other one that I've played is 4. And I played the uh, Golden version on Vita, which... Um, is it's finally on Steam, and I'm really happy about that. Um, and that's like basically not... the equivalent of like the Persona 5 Royal version? Yes, yes, basically. Um, it's kind of a thing that Atlas has been doing for a while, I suppose, with, with Persona. Um, it's a little bit more arguable whether or not the portable PSP version of Persona 3 was like that, because it kind of had to sacrifice some of the presentation along the way, but it added some content. Uh, but for Persona 4, yeah, Golding was basically just Persona 4 or more, right? And then uh, with Persona 5, uh, I've not played the original, but I've not heard anyone say don't play Royal because it's it's basically just more. Um, yeah, it's so yeah, just my, more the better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's that's my experience with Persona coming into this. Um, I really liked four. Um, I felt like maybe the story was a little bit too light in tone at times, but that's just my own taste. Cause I think I think they they knocked it out of the park for what they were going for. Um, and when I told some of my friends, I like you know I think. Persona 4 is a really, really rock-solid game. Um, I could have gone for a little bit more darkness here and there up until near the end. And my friends were all just like, oh, you just need to play 5. They were just, oh, you need to play 5. Go, why aren't you playing 5? So um, by the time I kept hearing that, I was like, okay, let's see if they do like a... I think back then everyone was saying it was going to be called Persona 5 Crimson. There was It was just wild speculation, but, you know, Golden Crimson. But it was definitely... That would we make all sense. knew something. Yeah, yeah, we all knew something was coming. So uh, when Royal was announced and subsequently came out in Japan, and I was just like, all right, I'm excited, I'm excited. And then it, it finally came over here um, earlier this year, but then I got completely sideswiped by, by FF7 Remake and, and Animal Crossing, which I was completely new to and didn't expect that to happen. Um, so yeah, I'm finally getting to it, and I'm not terribly far into it yet, but then at the same time, a lot of these Shin Megami Tensei games and, and certainly Persona games are lengthy enough in the main adventure that when I say I'm not that far into it yet, I'm still clocking like 10, 11 hours. Um, also, I'm just glacial with RPGs to begin with, so <laughs> never never really take my, my time frames as, as gospel. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I am, let's see, about that far into it. Uh, the story has has grabbed me uh more more rapidly than fours did uh for sure it's it's immediately got this darkness to it i guess to go back to what i was saying before not like to the point where where some might say oh this is just you know shadow the hedgehog going on it's it's not like that it's um Although shadow and the hedgehog in that game would make so much sense oh wouldn't it though yeah, I mean, he Sega. Is, it's aesthetic uh, it's aesthetic Oh man, now now I'm bummed about the entire game. Well, actually, maybe I guess there's still time. Oh, for it would have been funny if he was the cat's persona. <laughs> I mean, look for a mod; it's probably it probably exists. 
It's <laughs> got fair. to. Just it's the cat turns to. into shadow. I have a gun. Yeah. Persona Five Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh. So yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm a few hours in. I immediately uh got pulled into it. The very beginning of the game is. And, you know, I'm going to be kind of light on spoilers, even though I'm not that far into it, just, just in case. Yeah, uh, but be warned, listeners. But, yeah, but um, one of the very first things you encounter is, I guess it's actually a flash forward to later in the game, and you're just kind of thrown into it. And um, at first, I was just like, oh, oh, this is a lot, this is a lot. It, it kind of dawned on me a few minutes then, like, okay, yeah, they're not going to start this epic, you know, Persona game with you already smacked up in the middle of everything. So I started realizing what they were doing. Um, but it was cool because you're just, you're in the middle of a heist. I mean, kind of the Persona 5 thing is that everyone is gathering together and doing these heists, but it's Persona, so it's got like a million other things going on. It's psychological twists and, and you're stealing people's hearts, basically, like bad hearts. I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's a lot. Um, so once you get past that, you find out that Joker, the uh, main character, um, gets brought into like uh, a prison interrogation because everything goes south. And there's all these hints of something bad that's going to happen as you go through the game because they say, like, oh, well, a traitor sold you out. And um, after that, it's it's like the game keeps flashing back and forth between the meat of it, which is... Uh, real time from the beginning when Joker's first coming to this city, uh, long before, you know, that flashback opening. Um, and then every now and then it goes back to the interrogation with the police detective. So it's got like this framing, framing service around it, which I don't see often in RPGs, really in gaming in general. It's one of those things maybe you sometimes see in movies, uh, certainly in books where it's just like, Oh, every 10th chapter where we're flashing forward quite a bit. So it, it kind of, hypes me every time it happens because the police detective she'll just be like you know i understand what happened next was blank but i need you to describe in further detail and i'm like "Ooh, yes joker describe in further detail <laughs> that's not a which bad storytelling conveyance yeah which is a little funny because he's like 99.9 percent mute but um <laughs> now, looking past joker, that, if i recall joker is the that character uh from smash bros no i'm kidding yeah yeah <laughs> You know, he got started there. He he made a whole career as a persona protagonist. No, um, so the way that it works is, and I thought this was really cool. Um, I'm going to contrast this with Persona 4 since that's my other experience. Um, in the beginning with Persona 4, you are basically this, this high school student who's going to be going and spending time, like, the whole summer, I think it was. No, no, what am I saying? It's the whole school year, because Persona's school year. Um, <laughs> he's going to spend the whole school year with, like, his uncle in this small town. And they don't quite get along at first, but there's no real, like, idea in Persona 4 that the character you're playing is rejected by society like they immediately start befriending everybody everybody kind of loves them um that's simplifying things a bit but that's more or less how four goes whereas with five well how else um, are you supposed to develop your anime harem exactly exactly right um in five the anime harem development is a little bit more complex <laughs> um so you are playing this character who gets in trouble and and gets expelled from their school and just completely ostracized by by Japanese society because 
they saw a uh, a woman on the street at night who was being like assaulted by this this jerk, right? And and they stepped in and they got involved and um, so they did the right thing. I mean, well, I I feel like they did the right thing. The whole the concept is that some of the characters are trying to be like, you know, if you get involved in other people's problems, something bad happens. I mean, it's kind of like a trope of the game so far, which I get. But you know, watching that cutscene in the beginning, I'm just like. How could you not do something, right? So immediately the protagonist is endearing to me in a way that I've never seen before in an RPG. Usually if I'm instantly endeared to an RPG protagonist, it's because they're, I don't know, they've got charm to them. They, they seem... Oh, you're an amnesiac. I want to protect you. Yes. Oh, you have I, no I... parents. I want to protect you. And that's yeah, like it's, 90% it's... of RPGs right there. Oh man, you're so right. Um with this guy, it's just like, oh, you've been completely removed from the social norm because you're inherently a good person. Uh, yeah, that's I, I like and, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and he, he starts spending, he, he gets sent to um, this family friend and, and typical epic JRPG fashion. I have a feeling there's a lot more going on there than, than meets the eye at first. But it's like this, this middle-aged family friend guy who runs a uh, curry and coffee cafe uh which i did not realize was something that people combined wow but say that uh, five times fast yeah yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but curry is like my favorite food and coffee is like my favorite beverage so i was just like i want to live here um but yeah he gets sent to like just kind of live in the upstairs cellar and it's it's a dingy mess and the family friend guy is just like he's definitely pushed past his limits in terms of um really caring about the world around him but they start forming this bond right off the bat and then he uh the main character gets sent to uh this new high school and it's the only high school that will accept like expelled kids from i don't know however far away so right off the bat they're just kind of like the school officials are just like ugh, we don't want to deal with this this lowers our image this is so bad you better not play hooky you better not this that or the other thing so yeah you're so, already like also know you're going to be with other misfits i guess exactly yes exactly and and that's kind of the tldr on where i was heading with that is that at least at this point in the game rather than persona 4 which again i liked um but the idea is kind of like you're in 4 it's like the people you start forming bonds with are maybe a little in the bracket of i don't quite fit in but um not in a major way I would say, whereas with five, the very first uh, party member you get, uh, this kid Ryuji, is just like everybody in school hates him. But it's again, it's because he did something that he believed was right, that the writing kind of strongly suggests to me was so he, right. So he's not all the ragey. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Nobody needs to indulge that. I'm sorry, everyone. No, I'll I'll indulge it. I'll allow it. <laughs> um. <laughs> and then of course there you get this cat um, <laughs> and john was like you're never coming back on the podcast <laughs> do not indulge greg <laughs> do not indulge greg. so it's never a good idea <laughs> that's how we end up with three hour episodes okay yeah, no well. <laughs> so that so, yeah, talking you get about this... final fantasy 14 right oh no i just started playing that recently oh god oh, no no oh. get away <laughs> go back to the cat. Go back to the cat. Go back to the cat that turns yeah, into so, shadow. So there's a cat. There's a cat, right? And um, uh, I thought the cat was like a, a girl, um, but I, I guess she's not because uh, 
I, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's a guy cat. I don't know. Um, but uh, then the reason I say that, uh, let me explain, is because the cat kind of has this thing going on, and it's one of those little moments in in JRPG sometimes that I do cringe at a bit. I'll admit, uh, where like the cat keeps being struck by how beautiful this uh, this. Uh, female party member is and it's like all right this is a little much but i you know i get it it's kind of funny um but yeah this cat insists that they're like supposed to be a real person and that they're in this cat form and they don't really know why but yeah whatever you say kate Tith. yeah right i know here's the part i love um the cat starts showing up in the real world rather than like the shadow you know, dimension thing that's going on, this weird thing that's involving the, like the main plot stuff, the cat starts showing up in the real world. And whenever that happens, he turns into just like, instead of the big head and, you know, um, bipedal thing going on, like the P5 mascot cat version, just a cat, just like a regular cat. And um, so this cat starts like going around the high school and uh, people are just like, didn't you see a cat? If I see that cat, I'm throwing it out, you know? Um, but only the party members can understand what Morgana, I should finally say the character's name, what Morgana is saying, whereas everybody else just keeps hearing meowing. And so, like, this cat will jump out of, well, not really jump out, but, like, creep out of Joker's backpack in the middle of class and just be like, we need to talk about blank. And, you know, you, you always have these dialogue response options. And I went with just like, what are you doing? We're literally in class. You can't just pop out of my backpack. You know, like that kind of response. And everybody else in the class just hears like, meow, meow. And the teacher's just like, <laughs> why am I hearing a cat? You know? So it's just, <laughs> it's just little moments like those that I appreciate. Uh, the battle system I haven't had that much time with yet, but it seems suitably Shin Megami Tensei deep already um it hasn't given me much difficulty but again i'm early on and then the last thing i really want to say is in this first act uh the villain that you go up against is one of the best written trash humans that i've seen in rpgs to date uh, he's just he's trash i mean he's like he every time you think that he can't insult the the more sympathetic characters more in some more demeaning way and this gets really dark like there are shades involved in what he's doing that are uh, the game is already dealing with with suicidal depression it's dealing with um again of course being ostracized but the fear of being alienated if you don't follow this terrible person you know and what they do um I really, I, I don't get to a point often in video games where I want to reach through my TV and, like, actually punch somebody, but I got there, so... So basically, it's the it human felt, equivalent of a presidential debate? It is the human equivalent of a presidential debate, uh, <laughs> yes. Aside to that, I only watched the uh, Weird Al parody uh, sum-up version, so, I mean, that seemed pretty entertaining to me. <laughs> that was definitely, um, yeah, that was superior. I would say Weird Al won the debate. Uh, and, and and no one never, else. <laughs> We're all and going no one to else. hell. Yeah, we are all going to hell. Um, but thankfully, I was able to take out that pent up frustration on this on this villain Kamashiga, uh, who just uh, so the, when I keep saying that it was like the end of the first arc, I'm getting this impression that kind of like with previous personas, you're you're kind of going to have like different villains over the course of the game, but they'll all build to something. 
And uh, yeah, this guy was just a piece of work. If they managed to make me loathe anyone else even half as much as this guy, I'm going to call this game a masterpiece on, on sentimental, ooh, I get to take out my frustration on disgusting IRL human beings alone. <laughs> it's a good feeling. Um, yeah, uh, the music is great. It's catchy. Uh, you spend a lot of time navigating around this fictional representation of, of part of Tokyo. Um, I did get incredibly confused trying to figure out where to go in the train station parts, but that's the reality over there if you're if you're um, not from around there, or even if you are. So I, I feel like the gameplay, it wasn't really supposed to confuse you as much as it confused me. Maybe it was just me, but I've heard other people say, like, I got stuck in the train station for 20 minutes trying to figure out where to, like, transfer. But it definitely made me feel like an outsider, and that's what they're going for with Joker so far. And I'm just, that's I'm cool. enthralled by the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I, I mean, I have no familiarity with uh, Persona in any way, shape, or form, aside from just, yeah, what people have talked about of it. It seems like a compelling, neat game, but it's just one of those ones that I'm like, I don't really have time for, and it's one I don't really have the desire to make time for right now. Someday, yeah. maybe I'll try out 4 and 5, but right now it's not on my list, but it sounds... Again, it sounds like one of those games that those who like it, like it a lot. If you like this style of game... It's doing it well. <laughs> it's got definitely some problematic. Sorry, uh, Greg, just showing his stuff. Canadian side there. <laughs> Those who like it like it a lot. <laughs> let me let me let me definitely say I I'm not looking forward to the particularly problematic aspect that I've read about. Um, I have heard yeah. and and I saw this in four to an extent too, and it makes it. There's a, there's a big reason why it took me so long to play these games, and that's actually intrinsic to it. Um, I, I, I feel like even other JRPG developers are starting to make a great deal more progress than Atlas is with dealing with sensitive, important issues that really we as, as a society should have been talking about issues of identity, you know, decades and decades ago, and we're finally getting there. So to see them kind of messed that up in, in some pretty big ways in games that are supposed to be about rebelling against society and, and finding the truth and all that. It hurts. It does. Yeah, and I really hope that their next kick of the bucket, like, I don't know if it's just set in for them in a cultural way that they just don't see it happening and they're just being tone deaf, or if it's just a hierarchical thing like the Hallmark Channel had a very openly bigoted and racist uh ceo and now they've stepped down and hopefully we'll see a change i mean things were slowly changing people were apparently seemed to be getting through to the upper management there but now there's bigger changes and it could be that case too where just upper management is just not wanting to budge on their own fundamental lousy values i don't know what i really yeah i really hope so but if that if that's the case it probably will take a little time for it to, I guess, trickle down to the rest of the organization. I mean, that's the problem. The person at the top sets the tone, and even if everyone in the organization doesn't usually care for that person, just removing that person usually doesn't fix matters. In fact, sometimes it can make it worse. Yeah. I mean, exactly. just take a look at Roger Ailes and Fox News. Roger Ailes died, and I don't think anyone could say that Fox News suddenly became, well, you know. Mm-hmm. Not Fox Not News. Not Fox News, yeah. exactly. It didn't become It yeah. didn't become MSNBC, let's put it that way. Yeah, it's still <laughs> zero Fox News. Right. Um, it's, I've yeah. heard that I've heard that the 
localization because I know the localization was changed up a bit, um, and they had some some kind of like the actors come in, I think, and redubbed their scripts and stuff for for Royal. And I've been told at least that the blatantly kind of homophobic scenes and there's a couple of them have been rewritten for the West. Um, and are, I can't say yet whether, cause I haven't encountered them yet, whether they're still going to feel really bad or not, but it still kind of hurts my heart because no matter what, because just because they've been rewritten for the West, I, that kind of means like, you know, the, the Atlas localization teams over here are like, hey, so some people weren't really fond of homophobia, yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still going on in, uh, with the guy Other at the top. The world, yeah, yeah, over there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, And like I said, it's, it's unfortunate. It's highly unfortunate when that happens regardless, but when you see it happening in a game that so far to me seems to be knocking it out of the park in terms of issues of identity in other ways it's it's really befuddling it's just it is what it is i guess but it kind of sucks yeah it kind of does yep it's going to be interesting to see how this is handled in the future because we've been seeing what we've been seeing in television especially lately episodes are getting pulled from the air they're getting pulled from streaming services because they are dealing with problematic content that at the time was still problematic but people were less aware of it like one of the best episodes the community ever made was the Dungeons and Dragons episode, and it's pulled. You can't get it on streaming services now because one of the characters was wearing uh, pseudo blackface in it. Um, mm, and it's going mm-hmm. to be interesting to see how video games handle this going forward uh, in re-releases and things like that. For example, it, we were talking about uh, Super Mario sixty four just before we uh, just before we started recording, and like the line because I love it and I'm playing it again, and oh my gosh, I know it's not an RPG, but oh my gosh, I love it again. <laughs> yes, uh, everyone loves Super Mario RPG. Well, the, some, the, the camera, not so much. But the game, yes. Um, but there's the famous line that was always misheard, because it's not actually what Mario says when he throws oh, Bowser. Right. So long, gay Bowser. And it's it's like that line got removed. So when you do a... Which yeah. is weird. I never heard it that way, to be frank. I always heard, so long, King Bowser. Yeah. I, I, I didn't start playing the game uh, for the first time until uh, literally just this week, which is crazy. But um, I've seen snippets of it over the years. I watched a good friend of mine replay it a few years ago. I watched, you know, bits and pieces. And I kept hearing, like, like the long was becoming elongated in its own way. I kept hearing, like, so long, Bowser. And then when, when he first told me what everyone on the internet and in childhood kept saying they heard... I, I started listening for it and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I can, I can kind of hear it. Oh, yeah, that could be a problem. Yeah, it's the, it's the blue and gold dress of problematic lines in video games. Mm-hmm. But it, it got cut. And, I mean, I don't have a problem with that because, you know, a lot of people were misinterpreting it, even though it wasn't what they said. So they could have either clarified the line, uh, but they might not have had a high-quality version of the recording anymore, or they could cut it. And it's not like it's particularly missed. and It's not like it hurts the game. But there are other games, like, for example, the Persona series, and, I mean, my beloved Ace Attorney has a ridiculously problematic case in it involving a uh, French chef named Jean Armstrong, who is, at points, everyone is kind of, I don't want to say repulsed by them, but kind of. And, like, I think at one point the uh, judge is like, is that a man or a woman? And it's, it's tremendously problematic, especially today. Um, at the time, it wasn't. Yakuza has a ton of that as well. Um, there was a 
there's a mini game in the fifth game, uh, which got cut from the re-release, where a, a trans woman is chasing Kiryu around the city. Um, and oh, jeez. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. And I mean, ha ha ha, funny. That that there's a there's someone in a dress who's chasing Kiryu, but obviously re-releases need to deal with that stuff. But when it's intrinsic to the plot that's where it becomes an interesting question of what they're going to do in the future when a lot of this stuff is simply yeah. unacceptable in video games. Like, I, my personal preference is... I don't... I mean, obviously, uh, straight, white, Canadian, uh, male. So, I mean, my dog in this fight is to support people who are hurt by this kind of thing. But as, like, an actor and some as an artist kind of thing, my preference is to put a card before whatever the episode is saying the views in this episode were a product of their time and they things have changed since then please view it through that context it is not this is we are not promoting this um that's what they do with yeah that's what that's what they do with that's what they do with warner brothers cartoons and like disney cartoons from the 1930s 40s and 50s whenever there was a problematic element they try to put it into historical context um so i guess they could try to do that with video games but it's kind of weak sauce if it's a central plot point. Yeah, that's interesting. I I hadn't thought about that as as a possible antidote for some of it, but um exactly. When it's when it's kind of at the beating heart of a game, that's something that's just you can pull episodes of community, although in at least in that case because I'm familiar with the episode you're talking about, it was a very good episode. Um I think it would make sense to do what you were just saying, you know, with the card. Um, And I think that would work in that case. But yeah, uh, gaming as a medium, it always seems to add more layers to the onion in terms of how things can be handled uh, like this. And I can't... What's a good example, would you say, of a game where really problematic elements are like right at their core? I feel like there's one at the tip of my... Catherine? There it is! Yeah. I mean, that's a recent game, too, with a recent re-release, which apparently made things considerably worse. I think the most famous example is the Atari game where you are a cowboy, uh, a naked cowboy, and you are uh, chasing after uh, Native American women. And it's just like, yeah, that... Oh, wow. Yeah, that game doesn't deserve to be anything but a historical footnote in in, uh, books about video games. Um... Actually, honestly, I'm. Can anyone? This is a question. Like, if you, for our audience, do you think there are any significantly problematic video games out there in terms of themes, central themes, not like periphery things, like also well, long gay Bowser, but like video games that can't be quote unquote fixed that need, if they're ever re-released again, need to be released in their historical context because they just don't work anymore, and the cultural values in them are harmful and hurtful to. Uh, to uh, groups of people who don't deserve anything remotely like that. If you can think of any, send them in. I, I don't know. I'm just yeah. curious. I can't think of anything else super egregious myself, but that also could be because I viewed it through a certain lens, so it may not have been problematic for me for all I know. Same. Yeah, admittedly, same. Uh, something that I really enjoyed recently, and I know there was a great deal of discussion about this uh, when the game came out, but uh, in Final Fantasy VII Remake... Um, 
so there was this problematic element, and the two of you might already oh, honey, be in. well familiar yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah, just the whole the whole cross-dressing aspect early in the game. Um, and it's one of those things where definitely some of the dialogue, because I've gone back to the classic game uh, fairly recently, some of the dialogue, let's just say, does not stand the test of time. Uh, so it's it's similar to some of the examples you were citing. And there was a lot of apprehension going into Remake in terms of, because that's, it's an iconic part of the game, but it's also an iconic part of the game that has just that big asterisk to me and to a lot of people I know of, oh no, how are they going to adapt this? Because this could get bad fast. And at least in my personal ex uh, opinion and my personal experience with this, I thought they did a surprisingly decent job at not only kind of putting a bandage on the obvious wound of how that was portrayed in the original game, but even, I, I don't know if maybe I'm reading into this too much, because I always want to be a little bit apprehensive, uh, especially with just, you know, Japanese RPG studios where, um, look at Atlas, basically, I don't, I don't want to give credit where credit isn't necessarily due, but I feel like the writing and remake um, just completely normalized and even to an extent celebrated um concepts of of just letting go of of toxic masculinity and just being who you are and again that's just my reading of that section of the game but coming from someone who went into that and i love final fantasy 7 but coming into you know i was going into that and i was thinking at best they're going to change some dialogue so that this isn't as egregious and potentially offensive to people and instead, they delivered what might be my favorite part of the game. And that just, that blew me away. And it gives me hope that maybe there are some changes on the way, some big ones for these for these important issues. I think you're right. I mean, from my understanding, I still haven't played it yet. I, I'm going to wait until it comes out on PC at some point in the far future, I guess. But uh, the Honeybee Inn section from the remake is many people's favorite section of the game. And I've seen footage from it and like, and uh, on YouTube, and it looks spectacular it looks amazing and i think it's a from what i have seen it looks like it's a prime example about how to adapt a problematic element uh that was introduced in a pre in you know it's it's source material and uh recontextualize it in a modern sense uh in a way that celebrates rather than i guess mocks yeah uh spot yeah. on it's the important yeah thing. And I think that a lot of those, like we were talking about episodes that were pulled, I mean, this is just what I'm predicting and who knows if it'll come true, but I think a lot of those episodes will start making reappearances back onto streaming services and, and Blu-rays, I almost said DVDs, uh, and Blu-rays and things like that in the future as cultural attitudes change and people uh, people's points of view change. Because I can see how those episodes can be very problematic when many people genuinely would watch those episodes of Seinfeld and still not see anything wrong with them and not even understand how those episodes can be hurtful to groups of people. Um, and hopefully in a few years from now, hopefully, you know, the world's still around a few years from now, but when people's opinion starts to change and we start to actually understand why this is hurtful, I think many of those episodes can start to make reappearances with, again, like a card beforehand mentioning the cultural context that when they were filmed. But, you know, I don't think they're going into like the Disney vault or anything like that forever. I don't think that they're going to be in there with like Song of the South, which deserves to be in there. 
Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's an interesting prediction. I could I could see that happening. Uh, we're at a point right now, this breaking point, where I feel I I personally feel like uh, taking things off the air for now uh, makes a lot of sense. But once it's possible that uh, praying here, <laughs> ironically or otherwise, um, that a greater number of people in our society truly understand what's the what, what the problem is yeah it could be viewed again through a cultural uh historical lens and that might be good enough right now it's just everything's a mess i mean without getting too far off track everything's a mess. In the podcast everything's yeah. a mess and i mean i have to my, i'm not gonna lie it's a matter of working on myself my first instinct when i heard that uh the Dungeons and Dragons episode was going to be pulled, my first reaction was one of vague outrage. Like, that's the one of the funniest episodes and arguably the best episode of Community. I can't believe they're pulling it. Why are they doing that? And I genuinely had to stop myself and think, okay, why are they pulling it? And think about that and consider my own uh, opinions and prejudices and what I, what I was blind to. I mean, obviously, educate yourself, go online, read about these things. But I, for my for my own personal life and like the mistakes I've made and the, the prejudices that I've been fighting against because everyone has them. I've been finding the best possible solution is to check myself whenever I feel that, Oh, for God's sake, check myself and think, okay, wait, I'm saying, Oh, for God's sake, but why am I saying that? And from that, I can basically reflect on my own behavior and my own opinions. Um, just stop for a second and think about it instead of just reacting out of instinct. And that's, for yeah. me, that's that's yeah. how I'm trying to change my behavior for the better. Same here. Um, well said. Yeah, I, I especially things that are kind of stuff that I went through uh, in my childhood, there's, there's always going to be that little nostalgic goggle in front of me. And it's definitely... Um, you know, I'm, I'm white. I'm, I'm a guy, you know, there's a lot of things going on there where I've, I know I've been blinded growing up and I have to check myself and I have to, to make sure, uh, when I'm, when I hear things being spoken of about maybe something I watched as a kid or, um, something I just didn't think about in a book I read, you know, way back when, and I realize now why this is upsetting somebody. And it's kind of like, okay, yeah, um, like you said, read up, uh, research, find these things out for yourself. It's important, um, but it's it's teaching moments every time that happens, and I'm I'm grateful for those opportunities to better empathize with other people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry we have very off track there from uh, no from, okay. from talking about problematic yeah. video games. It just it I'm just it I genuinely find it an interesting subject of what's going to happen in the next. Uh, 10 to 15 years about a lot of video games that got released that do have issues with them that are unacceptable nowadays and rpgs Mm -hmm. tend to have more than the average because rpgs tend to be story focused yeah so much interpersonal relationships so many different uh diverse uh experiences can definitely lead to some poorly implemented ideas yeah can I talk about a game that has absolutely no offensive things in it at all as far as i can see wait wait wait. you can't you can't hold on let me I need. I, I thought of the thought of the best stupid segue for it. So you need to let me. Okay, have that take the, take the segue. Uh, since we went such <laughs> down, uh, spelunking in such a deep hole with that discussion, how about you talk about a game that you've been playing, Jono, that involves 
uh, delving down deep into something. Oh, no. A game, a game oh, that involves no. splunking? There you go. Okay, well, let's... You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> okay, let's talk about a demo I played called Ruby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're a jerk. I am a jerk, but yes, that is... There are two games that I played recently. Uh, one is a demo for Metroidvania. Uh, it was actually our fearless leader, Mike, recommended it to me. It's called Ruby the Wayward Mira. Um, it's an indie title, uh, pixel art, uh, Metroidvania. Is it Mira or is it Myra? Like those Myras that we used in like science class and stuff, which my brain connects those two because they're red. Is there a correlation in that or not at all? Honest to God, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, okay. Okay. Myra, like it better. Um Meh. Ruby. It's uh, it's it's a Metroidvania. Has a few uh, light RPG elements, a leveling up system, skill trees, that kind of thing. Um, and it's just a demo. It's like a good fifteen twenty minutes of playtime. But I really enjoyed it. It was not. It didn't blow my socks off. I it, like. I didn't like hollow. It didn't make like a Hollow Knight impression on me. But I liked it. I think when it comes out, I will play the full game. Uh, there's a. I understand there's a demo on Steam and it's free. So if anyone's looking for a nice little dose of metroidvania with some rpg elements i think that is worth checking out um not much it looks pretty too yeah there's not much to say about it really because at this point because it is you know it's just like 15 20 minutes of gameplay uh and there are issues with it like anything it's 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 the game is not in release state at the moment uh it says it's going to be coming out in 2020 who knows if that's going to happen anymore but i mean with every single game who knows if that's going to happen i mean i'm still not convinced that cyberpunk 2077 is coming out and they swear it will um, but yeah, if you're looking for a fun, a fun little Metroidvania, uh, th- that might, might be interesting and might, might develop even more in the future, uh, take a look at Ruby. But yeah, going back to your, your flawlessly, uh, executed segue, which I tripped you on at the last second. Uh, yeah, I've been playing a- You, but. I know. I've been playing a lot of Splunky <laughs> 2, like a lot of Splunky 2. It's not an RPG. It doesn't have any RPG elements in it whatsoever. And I recognize this is an RPG podcast, but holy crap, is it good. Um, it is so good. Have you either of you guys played the first Splunky? Uh, I did a bit of it, and I enjoyed the heck out of it. But I think I just did the demo on Xbox. I don't know if I actually had it on the 360 or if I just had the demo. But I do remember playing is, it and loved it. This is actually uh, kind of funny because uh, Greg's response is essentially my okay. Um Yeah, I mean, the original Splunky was awesome it was a brilliant game uh it's still a brilliant game uh and a few years ago uh derek you announced that he was going to be working on a sequel uh just came out on ps4 two weeks ago and on uh on pc a few days ago and it is just more of the original uh in a much more polished form but it still has the same same core gameplay uh same brilliant uh gameplay loop in it the graphics are uh, just cartoony and delightful. The designs are wonderful. The randomized uh, levels are still as sharp as ever. Uh, and he has just tightened it up in all of the places that mattered. So rather than being a full-blown reinvention of Splunky, like this is not Mario 2 to Super Mario Brothers. This is an evolution of what Splunky was, and it's a brilliant one. It just takes it, and uh, a couple of days ago I was on, a, I was on the... Uh, uh, top 10 years in RPG history uh, retro encounter. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully it's aired by now, but uh, I talked a lot about what, what makes a perfect sequel. Like is a perfect sequel more of the same as a perfect sequel in the evolution of the gameplay. Uh, 
I, in my opinion, a perfect sequel is a game that eliminates the need to play the game before it, unless it's for like story or that kind of thing. And in that sense, I think Splunky 2 is a perfect sequel. Uh, it's a roguelike. It is frustrating as hell in places. It's so hard. You're going to die more times than you can count in the first on the first screen, let alone the first level. Um, but just like a brilliant roguelike, the more you play, the better you get, the more you learn, and slowly you make your way to the next level and to the next level and the next level, and eventually you're hopefully going to be able to complete the game. Uh, if anyone has, If anyone enjoyed Splunky... If anyone loves a good roguelike, if anyone loves a really tightly playing side-scroller, uh, yeah, Splunky 2 is a is a must-buy. Holy crap, it's fun. You know, having seen, um, like, the trailer for it uh, several weeks ago, I think the thing that struck me the most, and, and this applies to the original Splunky as well, like, I just love the obvious dichotomy that goes on with these games between... These, these charming cartoony graphics that just kind of like suck you into this world like it's everything's sunshine and rainbows and then death 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 uh, yes. <laughs> I think it's 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 like roguelikes at their uh, the, peak are, are yeah the bad. good old cartoon violence yeah uh I yeah I personally like when it's it's a tom in many cases this is it's like a Tom and Jerry cartoon with blood. <laughs> yes exactly but it's uh I, I highly recommend it to both of you and the nice thing about Splunky 2 is you it's a real game you can you know pick up put down pick up put down there's there's a story but it's certainly not like right at the forefront like like Greg was talking about earlier with Star Renegade the story is not the reason you're playing this game you're playing this game for the mechanics and the challenge and the fun of it uh and in that sense mm, it's just a it's just a perfect slice of uh, platforming heaven. A little chef's kiss there. Mwah. <laughs> you sold it. You yeah. sold it to mm. me. Exactly. Anyway, that's so that's I've been playing a fair bit of Splunky 2 the last couple of days, so I haven't exactly been after I finished the demo, I had a few I have a, one or two games that I need to get into for review, but oh, this is just a it's it's just I can't stop playing. That's good. It's yeah, I uh, I feel that, and there's I was definitely going to be in that same rabbit hole with Super Mario sixty four, mm-hmm. but then I have reviews to do and other video projects, and yep, you know, you all know how it goes, but uh, yeah, so that uh, that's about it. I mean, the only other thing I wanted to say is just because uh, it's somewhat adjacent to our coverage is just Steve's uh, from Minecraft is in Smash Bros now. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. I think that. I know that a lot of people are upset. They wanted other characters in it, but uh, what Smash has been doing, my, my partner loves Smash, and uh, I think that Steve is going to have some amazingly unique mechanics that are, it's going to be, it's going to completely yeah, change. Yeah, so weird to put in there. It's going to completely change the oh, gameplay. Yeah, yeah, the map, everything about it just looks so cool. Yeah, and I think that, I think that uh, the developers, rather than looking at it and saying, what character would be cool to put in Smash uh, in the visual sense, I think they're asking themselves, what, m- what character's mechanics would be cool to put in Smash? And obviously, in that sense, Minecraft is, wow, that's, that's crazy. I never would have expected that. But it's there now, so I'm excited to see how it uh, integrates with the currently existing gameplay. Yeah, me too. Um, it's it's one of those things where I've I've never really delved too deeply into Minecraft. Obviously, it's a cultural phenomenon, um, and I, I think it's a really cool concept. And it obviously sort of opened the floodgates for all sorts of cool games thereafter. 
Um, but, you know, I have everybody who's in Smash maybe has their little list of uh, dream characters to pop in. And I kind of understand if someone's just like, oh, well, that's one less shot for so-and-so. But, you know, it happens. But I, I'm with you. Um, the developers almost certainly had to have looked at this from the perspective of how do we make a fun game even more fun? And it just looks like it's going to be that. But that brings us to uh, the end of another episode, I would say. We are coming up like we uh, very, or not we, I'll take full responsibility, like I very poorly alluded to at the very beginning of the episode. 200 is upon us. Next episode, we're going to do something special. We've had some little uh, email feedback on what we could do with it, and I think we've more or less settled on an idea that hopefully everyone will enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, we will announce stuff on the website too, as we get closer to the the execution of these ideas, because uh, it might involve you fans. You never know. It might just. Uh, I don't know what quite uh, how we're going to do it all. We have to test some things out, but uh, just keep your eyes peeled on the website and on all of our social media. Which, as always, you can find RPG Fan on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, streaming on Twitch. So someone out there will have information for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you do want to squeak any last minute ideas on or shout outs or whatever, just tell us we're doing a dandy job or me, I need to shut up with my terrible segues. I mean, they're not like Stephen Myring bad, but they're still pretty bad. Um, you can email us at podcast at rpgfan.com. Uh, I am G Delmy on Discord. I am G Greg Delmage at Greg Delmage on Twitter and everywhere else. Jono, you can bug Jono places. Where can they bug you, Jono? You can bug me, you can send me an email at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Twitter at John O'Logan. And Quentin, if people want to discuss things with you, where's the best place to find you? Oh, let's say uh, Quentin O'Connor at rpgfan.com. There you go. Easy enough to get us all in the in our emails. Tariff Amelia Clark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to send pictures of Amelia Clark to Quentin, now you have his email address to do so. Um, I'll never say no to that. There you go. <laughs> Other podcasts, we mentioned Retro Encounter. Go check that out. See what game journals are going on. They hit 200 ages ago. I mean, he's going to be rounding the corner on 300 very shortly, and Mike, I'm sure, will do something bombastic for that as well. But uh, If he keeps going at the rate he's going, he might actually beat us to 200. <laughs> <laughs> Just release well, 75 episodes in the next two weeks. Would not shock me if he had a backlog and was editing them all as we spoke. At any rate... Uh, yeah, go check out Retro Encounter. Rhythm Encounter is back. 197 yes. was a crossover episode with Rhythm Encounter. So if you liked what that episode was doing with the music and the discussion, you get more of that on our Rhythm Encounter podcast that has been fired back up by Mike Salbato and anyone who's willing to come on and chit-chat music. So go check that out. And then Hat and Eric are on top of all the latest RPG news and gaming industry updates. So go check out their podcast, Phoenix Edge, and their live recordings on uh, Fridays, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that's it for myself, for Jono, for Quentin. Quentin, thank you so much for coming on for the first time. I hope we haven't scared you off from future uh, encounters. No, uh, you won't be able to get rid of me. Awesome. We like it. You're well-spoken. We'll take you. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Bye-bye for now. Later. Yeah. And, and there we go. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. I don't know why I felt like chiming in there when I had nothing. Bah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>